0: Have you ever wondered if lawyers are actually worth the money? When I was in prison, I heard people talking about hiring a parole lawyer. And I thought, man, what a waste of money. Your, your family's valuable money. What a waste. But it wasn't until I actually got to hang out with one because of my friend who was incarcerated. And I got to watch this lawyer work behind the scenes, put a parole plan together, and then I got to watch him present to a lead voter on the parole board and it was amazing. And now this type of lawyer is my favorite type of lawyer. Today, we're gonna do a background check on a lawyer. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back, it it should pay you back. (laughs) This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and and not be afraid to say go go ahead, check my background. My name is J D Dan Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down. No, you can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey everyone, welcome to Background Check. I'm your host, J. Dan Gum, and Background Check is brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. If you want to know more about Forgiven Felons and what we do and how we help the guys coming out of prison, go to ForgivenFelons.org, and you can uh, specifically click on the house page to see what all we do there. If you have a loved one in prison or in jail who needs a transitional house, make sure you download all three documents there in our application packet and send it to them. And they'll send it back to us, and we'll see if they're a good fit. For our program, If you haven't seen our documentary yet, go to Roku TV or Tubi TV. You can watch it for free. Uh, if you haven't seen us on the Huckabee Show, click on uh, ForgivenFelons.org, and we're on the homepage there. Check out our interview with Mike Huckabee. That was amazing. Uh, background Check Podcast. Man, what are we doing with the show? Man, I've, I'm, I've been able to interview so many great guests that have risen above their background check, uh, their past, their struggles, their upbringing, whatever's going on in their gone on in their life, in their past, they've risen above it. We've talked with judges, we've talked with uh, other people that just have great stories, we've talked with addiction recovery services, re-entry programs, but today we're going to talk with a lawyer, and not just any old lawyer, we're going to talk to a parole lawyer here in Texas, and I'll be honest with you, like I said in the, uh, in the hook, man, I'd... I used to think parole lawyers were a waste of family's resources. And even when my friend told me she was getting a lawyer, a parole lawyer for her husband, I was just like, no, it's a waste of money. But I, I soon began to watch him work. I asked him a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions for him. I said, Hey, look, man, I know. I don't know if you're used to this, but I'm, my friends are dropping a lot of money and I want to know all about you. And I heard his heart. He used to be, an inmate lawyer for TDCJ, Texas Department of Criminal Justice. He used to be an inmate lawyer. When they would get new crimes in prison, he would be their defense attorney. But before that, he served in the military. I can't wait for him to tell you the story. He's also he's also uh, helped some some high profile guys. And and we've got a link to the documentaries and different things in the show in the show notes. And so I'm excited. So his name is David O'Neill. He's a Texas parole lawyer and he's my new friend and he's amazing and let's just get to it david O'Neill, welcome to background check podcast it's an honor man
1: thank you Jay. the honor's mine i'm uh, glad you invited me appreciate it
0: well uh as you know as we've already talked about background check podcast is just a, a platform to share stories information inspiration motivation and information i i feel like as um you're a parole lawyer so you have a story of how you got to, got to be where you are now, and you have a little, a little background of helping, helping inmates out even before, before you do what you do now. And so just spend a few minutes just telling us, you know, who David O'Neill is, what you've done in the past, and
1: how you got to where you are now. Sure, Jay, thanks. Uh, prior to my being a lawyer inside Texas, uh, I spent the 21 years in the Marine Corps. I started off in the infantry and then I went to law school through the Marine Corps at St. Mary University in San Antonio. So I got my Texas uh, bar license and then went back into the Marine Corps and practiced law for about 15 years. I headed up defense offices, prosecution offices. Uh, in fact, I was the chief defense counsel uh, for the Marines on the island of Okinawa. I served at headquarters Marine Corps. I taught at the Army, uh, U.S. Army Judge Advocate General School and Naval War College. And when I retired, I came to Texas, and uh, there was a job advertised in Huntsville to work for the prison system. There is an office there, State Council for Offenders, that represents inmates, provides certain legal services to them. I was uh, hired to be a trial attorney defending inmates who were indicted in the prison system for crimes that they allegedly committed inside of TDC. Okay, Uh, all right. I became the director of that trial services program and served doing that for, for five years, and then uh, went into private practice uh, in 2000 with Bill Habern and had been doing prison and parole work ever since. Uh, starting out with my own firm in 2016, went into private practice, uh, solo firm, after managing Habern O'Neill firm for many years.
0: So, uh, first of all, thank you for your service in the military. We, we appreciate all that.
1: Thank you. I always, whenever anybody thanks me, I turn to my wife obviously isn't here now, but I say,
0: well, thank my wife, because she had to put up a lot more than I did. Oh, I bet, I bet. So you worked for the State uh, Council for Offenders, uh, in- inmates in- that got in trouble while they're in prison. So what are, what are some examples of cases uh, that an inmate would need a lawyer like yourself at that time for? Because I got into a little well, trouble when I was in prison, but I didn't ever need a lawyer.
1: Well, if you get a case for assaulting a public servant, uh, a correction officer, okay. uh, that's a third degree felony. And wow. everybody in the prison has at least one prior. So they're going to be a repeat, if not habitual offender. So most of my clients were looking at 25 to life. Wow. Uh, there was also drug cases. Uh, there were cases involving cell phones, and we had the occasional escape case. There were uh, obviously some inmate assault cases so there was a variety of cases like you'd see on the outside represented the, everything from uh, manslaughter and murder cases on down to possession of marijuana. In fact, represented a client who was charged with possession of marijuana on death row, if you
0: can believe that.
1: Wow. Marching the guy back and forth to, to, from death row to prosecute him for a small amount of marijuana.
0: My goodness. That, that is, that's insane. First of all, you can't get marijuana on death row without some sort of uh, staff help. I mean, One would think. <laughs> I mean I've 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 been in solitary confinement myself so and I've actually done ministry on on death row uh blocks so I know how tight security is that's crazy so so uh you you defended inmates that got into trouble how did you think what did you think about that cuz I know a lot of A lot of defense lawyers out here in the world at some time or another, they think, man, I'm defending this person, trying to get them off when it looks like they may have actually done something. When you put that inside a prison prison environment, what goes through your mind? I mean, how was it? Was it what you thought it was after you started doing it? Exactly what you thought it was at the beginning?
1: When I got hired for that job, when I was interviewed, the then director of the uh, trial services section was sure to tell me, Now, you understand we only win one case a year. I thought that was something. Uh, Wow. But when I took over that position, my attitude was everybody deserves a lawyer for when they're charged. And quite frankly, most of the inmates admitted that they were guilty and took a plea uh, deal. But there were many inmates who didn't want to take a deal or who were innocent. Right. And my attitude was, look it. I'm here to defend you whether you did it or not. I'm going to give you the best representation possible. And we took a system that was literally winning one case a year to where we were winning more cases than the prosecution after I was in there for about two, two years. Wow. Uh, And and we just developed, uh, I I hired good people and I, they were people who cared and and wanted to, to represent our clients uh, fully and they wanted to win. And uh, that really Shown through, the inmates appreciated that. Uh, Now, did you make a lot of of thank you cards.
0: Now, obviously, the inmates appreciated that like crazy, but did you make any uh, any enemies from the uh, TDC side?
1: Well, I'll let you judge. After about (laughs) uh, four and a half years, I wound out in jail in Walker County on a contempt charge. Uh, Long story. It was because they were, in my opinion, railroading my client. I refused to let them do it. I spent a couple weekends in a Walker County jail a couple of years later they quietly dismissed the charge against my client
0: Wow uh, it was a mental
1: health case looking at 25 to life and I wasn't gonna let railroad him anyway that's that's wow. the short version
0: yeah well well first of all thank you uh, from the be- uh, from the the side of the inmate I've been out 14 years now but I know I know uh, I got railroaded was trying to get railroaded for my haircut. You see, you, you've seen me before. You know, I have a shaved head uh, I, and, I, and I had that all throughout my prison sentence. Well, the, the TDC handbook uh, clearly states no extreme haircuts. They don't want things, you know, designs drawn in heads. They don't want things like, you know, just crazy haircuts. This one Lieutenant just had it out for me. He just had it out for me. And he wrote me a case for an extreme haircut. I, did, I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know how to act. And you know, it's it was a minor, so I didn't need a lawyer before I went to court. I was just like, I don't even know what's going to happen, you know? And so I saw the warden one day walking down the hall and I just pulled him over and I said, warden, do you mind if I speak with you? And he let me talk and I said, I got a case written up for, for an extreme haircut. And he's like, well, you have no hair. I said, I know. <laughs> and I use, I use my state razors to to cut my hair and I don't borrow anymore. I don't do anything. So everything I, I just, it, Shave my face and shave my head so but I saw if I hadn't talked to that warden I saw in the court hearing what what it would have ended up like you know and so I know if it happened to me on a small level of railroading I can imagine on your level where they're trying to um but thank you thank you for uh having our backs back then and uh and I think that that is just man that just kind of just kind of rolls over into what you do now. I mean, you're still fighting for the inmates. You're, you're trying to, as a parole lawyer, that's what you're doing. You're trying to convince that same system to let these guys and girls go. And
1: so to give them a second chance, that's that's what our business is all about. Giving people a second chance.
0: You were also a part of a documentary of a, uh, of a guy named Robert Coney. Um, Yeah. You were already into parole lawyer at that time, right? Yes. Okay. So, so you, you got to work with his case in, in what, in what capacity? Cause was it, he eventually found, uh, that he didn't do the crime that he committed or was it just,
1: it, yes, the family had contacted me to hire me for a writ. Uh, I never heard back from them. Turned out they didn't have the money to hire me, but, uh, the story that they had written about was pretty compelling. So, uh, I finally had some time to take the case on pro bono. So I went to see him and when I arrived at the prison unit, uh, I think I relay in the documentary that the guard met me and said, hey, are you here to see Pops, Pops Coney? I said, yeah. He said, well, you got to get that guy out of here. He doesn't belong here. He was, gosh, he had to be in his seventies at that point. When I sat down with him, he said, uh, and asked him, you know, about representing him. He said, well, they had a hearing in Lufkin and the, the judge, Judge David Wilson, apparently took the case up himself and looked into it and uh, determined that he was uh, not, wrongfully convicted of the offense. Wow. And that went up to the court of criminal appeals and uh, they confirmed that. And so he was uh, still sitting in prison. I said, what are you still sitting here for? And He says, well, they haven't released me yet. So I contacted Judge Wilson, set up a hearing date and we moved to get him released. Of course, uh, the judge had the hearing, ordered him released, but they had to process him back through TDC. And when he got there, it turns out that there was a Warrant from Georgia from the 50s. Wow. Uh, see, Mr. Coney had a propensity of escaping, and that's, uh, he had escaped from numerous prisons, including Angola, and, as well as uh, Georgia. At that point, he received a warrant from Georgia. Robert had a propensity of escaping, and he had a, I think it was a 40-year sentence uh, out of Georgia for escape. He was a black man back in the 50s and 60s, and they got some big numbers back then. Yeah. And so TDC said, well, we can't release them. Georgia's got a warrant out. for Wait, hey, Dave, so after, hey,
0: hey, David, can I get you to say yeah. that again about the 50s and 60s?
1: Sure. Uh, back in the 50s and 60s, uh, if you were a black man, they were giving out some big numbers uh, for black people back in those days. Uh, right. Of course, yeah. they still are today, but they still are in particular today. back then.
0: Yes. All right. I just want to make sure people heard that and didn't just kind of gloss over that. Thank you. Thank you for saying that though.
1: And uh, so Robert now was was uh, being held in TDC on his Georgia uh, warrant. And so now I had to start doing clemency work with the state of Georgia, the governor of Georgia to try to get them to drop his, uh, his case in Georgia. And uh, I wound out collecting up Letters from various prison officials, administrators. There was no shortage of people to get letters from on Robert Coney's behalf because while he was in prison, the guy was an exceptional individual. Uh, actually, in Mississippi, he researched the law and found that some of them, uh, some of the inmates there had the actual right to vote. Uh, they were not disenfranchised by their conviction. And he went out getting them ballots to vote. He also started a reading program and he was educating prisoners. And he had all kinds of awards and recognitions for the time he had spent in prison. Wow. He had escaped from Angola at one point, And I remember him telling me the story about being in Angola back in the 60s and watching new inmates come in and being put up literally on an auction block and being auctioned off to other inmates. Wow. It it was a real hellhole. Uh, And he had some interesting stories, including swimming the Mississippi to escape. Yeah. Uh, But ultimately, we persuaded the state of Georgia to release him, and I think it was December 27th of 2004, Robert Coney was finally released. He had actually filed a writ on his conviction, uh, conviction was back in the '60s. He filed a writ, and in 1973, uh, he got an order granting his writ and releasing him from his sentence. However, there was no legal authority for doing that. The judge had done it probably because he knew about the the sheriff's reputation and how they beat confessions out of inmates back then. Wow! And I suspect that's why it was. Uh, That order was entered, but TDC wouldn't honor it because there was no statutory authority for the judge to have done that.
0: Man, listen, uh, we're going to put the link to, I I think I found the actual little documentary saga that that it is, but I'm going to verify that with you first, and then we'll put a link on there so people can see that little story. Uh, Sure. But I want to go ahead and get into kind of what you do uh, on a regular basis now. I mean, you're a parole lawyer. Who needs a parole lawyer uh, I'm going to fire off a few questions here, and you just answer them. Who needs a parole lawyer? What what should they look for when looking for a parole lawyer? And uh, what do, what do they do if they can't afford a parole lawyer? Can they still, okay? You know those kind of questions. Let's.
1: Well, everyone doesn't necessarily need a parole lawyer. Most people that are released from prison are released without the benefit of a parole attorney. But difficult cases sometimes call for some assistance because. The parole board doesn't always have the full story. And, you know, the job of a good parole attorney is to give their client the best chance at obtaining a favorable parole vote by putting together a professional presentation that's going to highlight all the most positive aspects of this case while accepting, identifying, uh, you know, those bad aspects of the case for which the parole board expects to see remorse and acceptance of responsibility. Gotcha. So that's the job of a good parole attorney. Uh, now, what you look for when you're hiring a parole attorney, there's, there's a number of different qualities that you need to look for. Uh, first off, experience, knowledge. Experience is important because there are a lot of aspects to parole that intertwine with prison law, with trial law. And so you want somebody who's experienced in all of these aspects if possible. Right. uh, So that they can deal with the various issues that come up. So good. For instance, in dealing with parole work, sometimes your client has disciplinary issues. Right. You want an attorney who knows how to deal with them. Now with state counsel for offenders, whenever my client got indicted, he'd been disciplined first. I I've subpoenaed probably hundreds if not thousands of disciplinary hearing reports. So I'm intimately familiar with the disciplinary system, and I've actually done disciplinary appeals for inmates who've lost their step one and step two, and we were successful in getting the appeal discipline, uh, the discipline appeal all the way up to the director and getting it reversed. And when that happens, uh, we file a special review and get a new review if they've been denied based on a, a, the parole board thinking they had a bad disciplinary case. Right. Uh, there's time credit issues that come up. So you want an exper- attorney who can recognize time credit issues if they computed the, the time credits wrong, if they've uh, miscomputed a stacked sentence. So in other
0: words, so in other words uh, uh, the inmate the may have more good time uh, f- in his favor than parole is saying that he does.
1: Yes, they'll usually get the good time right, but sometimes they'll mess up on the stacked sentences. Gotcha. Uh, and sometimes I will advise folks on plea agreements attorneys and families, because time credit issues can actually circumvent needing an attorney for parole. Uh, one example is we advise people sometimes when they're an offense that they're facing on a new charge about to go into TDC, they have time credit. They've been sitting in jail for a and long period of
0: time. Right, right Sometimes
1: yeah. they will pass their mandatory supervision date if they can get a deal for, say, three or four years and they've been in for a year or more okay. in a county jail. Right. A year, two years. So that TDC is going to be required to release them on mandatory supervision. They won't even have to go up for parole because if you pass your mandatory supervision date and you haven't been considered by the board, they're required to release you.
0: And let me just explain uh, something real quick about that. So because everybody listening may not know what mandatory supervision dates are. Uh, what we call inmates, we call that our short way. There's a couple different different, uh, there's a long way discharge. I mean, you do your full sentence and there's a short way. And that is the mandatory supervision date in which the state feels like you've done, you've done enough of your sentence to where, you know, as long as you've got a clean record, you should be able to be let go. So that, in, in other words, if somebody sits in jail for, for a year and they get a two-year TDC sentence, 11 months and 15 days is the mandatory supervision date on a two-year sentence. So if they did a year in county jail, they've already passed that date once they get to TDC. And uh, so that, that would be a that would be a situation what you're talking about, right? That they, they should be considered to just let go.
1: Yes, so sometimes we'll get calls from uh, defense attorneys because we I always encourage defense attorneys, call me if you're looking at a plea agreement and you want to know what the parole ramifications are, eligibility requirements, or these time, kind of time credit issues. And sometimes we're able to advise them Take this deal instead of that deal, and your guy's going to be able to walk out as soon as uh, he processes in the TDC. So those are the kinds of things that are important. Uh, if you're representing sex offenders, it's important to understand child safety zones. You don't right. want to be presenting to the board a parole release plan that the board that is ultimately going to be rejected when they try to get out of prison, and then they're going to have to sit there until they get. Either into a halfway house or get an approved plan. Sex offenders need to be advised about the polygraphs that they're going to have to take when they get out, because ultimately they're going to have to take maintenance polygraphs. They're going to have to take uh, monitoring polygraphs. Those polygraphs are, are like a minefield. Yeah. They, while they can't, they, while they can't revoke somebody for failing a, solely for failing a polygraph, they can make their life miserable. And usually, where they catch them is they do a pre-polygraph or a post-polygraph interview and get them to admit offenses. So I counsel my clients thoroughly on polygraphs. And sex offender treatment providers in sex offense cases can make the difference between whether somebody's going to successfully complete their parole or have a sex offender treatment provider who's more likely to want to see them back in prison. So we advise them on sex offender treatment providers they can take. Right. Uh, That's so Interstate good. compact issues come up. Medical issues come up. Sometimes our clients may not even have a sex offense, but we have to advise them that they could, the TDC could try to place them on sex offender conditions of parole when they get out. Wow. So the parole division will look at them and, and uh, send up requests to the parole board to have sex offender conditions imposed. And there's a whole bunch of ways that we've been able to successfully keep people from having those conditions imposed when they don't have sex offense convictions. But there's there's a lot of nuances involved in the parole business. And the more your attorney knows about all these nuances, the more effective he can be or she can be in the representation of the client. Right.
0: And- well, so we know what you do. What are some things you don't do?
1: Well, I used to do writs and trial work. Okay. But uh, in recent years, I have focused on parole and prison work. Uh, If I see a writ issue, I can identify it from based on my experience. I used to also head up the writ and appeal section in the State Council for, for Offenders. And I was the first acting director of the section on civil commitment of sexually violent predators. So I've got a lot of experience in those areas. And I know who to refer people to for certain matters. So if I see reversible error in a case that I'm reviewing, I can advise them of that and put them in touch with an attorney to Uh, who might be able to to assist them in either a writ or an appeal. Uh, I do handle time credit issues. I'm appealing one now through the prison system. But I I generally now am not going into court like I used to. limited myself to parole and prison matters like disciplinary cases, visitation appeals where family members are denied visitation, Uh, time credit issues, uh, medical issues. Okay,
0: so explain the visitation thing. So if somebody is, I mean, how would that come up? What would what would be the precursor to having that having a need for that for lawyers? Well, an individual
1: has uh, got family members on their visitation list, and then they receive a notice that one of the family members is going to be has been denied visitation privileges for some alleged misconduct. And oftentimes, they're not told what it is; they're not told the specifics of it. And then we'll get a call from a family member saying, "Look, this is what happened. Uh, I'm no longer allowed to." To visit. I'd like to get my visitation privileges reestablished, or at least phone privileges re-established or non-contact at least. And so I've been involved in a number of those appeals where we appeal to the director's review committee. So and, you're talking
0: uh, about the, those visitation appeals are for uh, people that are out here, yes. not, not necessarily if the inmate gets his visitation uh, denied because of a uh, disciplinary case or something. Uh,
1: no, that, and that may happen, You'll get the restriction on privileges for a disciplinary infraction. Right. And sometimes Appe- I'll get hired to appeal those.
0: Okay. And are you, uh, do you, do you do a lot of those? Well, I do uh, several a year and yeah, okay. I only
1: appeal major disciplinary cases because only in a major disciplinary, uh, sanction or major disciplinary case, are you going to have a CD where they record the entire hearing? Uh, And also in a minor disciplinary case, the sanctions are completely served before you'd ever be able to win an appeal because I don't do any appeals until you've exhausted step one and step two. You don't want to be hiring me and then have your step one or step two granted
0: and
1: spend all that money.
0: So what are are some things that people should look out for? Uh, We talked about what they should look for, but what are some things they should look out for when uh, trying to vet the parole attorney of their choice?
1: Well, first off, you want to make sure they're a lawyer, right? There are a lot of what is called what are called parole consultants out there advertising themselves as parole consultants. And the first question you want to ask is, are you an attorney? Get the name of the attorney. Go on the State Bar of Texas website. Just Google in State Bar of Texas. The website will come up and Google the attorney's name. If it doesn't come up or if it comes up and shows he's suspended, you don't want to be dealing with them. Okay. It's actually a misdemeanor to uh, represent someone before the parole board if you are not a licensed attorney.
0: Really? Okay. And, so, so even if somebody was a parole consultant, but they weren't, weren't a lawyer, but they were just trying to help people represent them, that's, that's against the law.
1: Not if they're not accepting a fee. If they're accepting a fee, then it's against then the law. They have to be an attorney, licensed okay. attorney.
0: Yeah. But like, say just, if someone like me just wanted to to help a family put a, put a packet together and, uh, and just kind of kind of represent them to the lead voter or whatever and, and put a packet together with them and all that. Someone could do that as long as they're not yes. taking a fee.
1: Okay. And, right. In fact, I have families call me and then when I quote my fee, you know, they say, well, look, I'm sorry we can't afford you. And I'll offer to send them and do many times. Send them copies of a couple of articles from the Echo several years ago about how to put together your own parole packet.
0: Okay, and we're going to put those on the show notes on the website page uh, so people can look at that as well. So, all right, what else? Make sure they're a lawyer. What else should they look out for, watch out for? What if they are a lawyer, but there's some, you know, maybe unethical lawyers? So, what are some things that they should look for to make sure that they're uh, not getting ripped off?
1: Well, you don't want to hire an attorney that accepts every case that walks in the door. Uh, Okay, there are many times, well, because there are many times when you're not going to be able to help a client. I have to tell many people. Uh, on the phone. Well, look, because of, you know, the fact that the individual is, for instance, a line three and he's constantly getting disciplines, he's not going to get parole this next time up. Right. For the first review, they have to review you even if you're a line three, but subsequent reviews, they won't review you until you come back off disciplinary status and are at the level in which you enter TDC. Uh, There's also individuals who have such uh, a bad criminal history and maybe they're wanting to get out on their first time up on a big sentence. And I just have to tell the family that, at that point that it's not going to happen as much as I would like it. I'd like to be honest with you and you'd be throwing your money away to hire me. So you want to be aware of an attorney that accepts every case.
0: What about uh, an attorney that, that sounds like he's over promising, like maybe on that same case, you are talking about a long sentence, and it looks like he's not going to make first parole, you know, if an attorney says, Oh, I think you got a great chance. I mean, should they be wary of stuff like that?
1: Yes. Uh, anybody first off who tells you, don't worry, I'll get him out on parole, run away, steer clear, steer clear of that attorney because they don't know only the parole board knows. And they don't even know at that time. They won't know until the whole case is presented.
0: Yeah. And there's no guarantees, right? I mean, it, it doesn't matter. Even if they're, even if the time is right, the, no disciplinary cases in his record. Even if everything seems perfect, there's still no guarantee that, that, that the inmate's going to make parole. Is that correct? That's correct.
1: And one of the big wild cards is, you know, if you've got a victim crime, protests. You have no idea whether there's going to be a protest because they're confidential. And you don't know what's being said in any protest as well. So they can change the dynamics considerably.
0: Do you know uh, if somebody's protesting?
1: You're not supposed to know because it's confidential by law, the board nor the the prison is supposed to uh, provide that information. Sometimes, we have been able through various means to determine that there is a protest in the case. And so we can address the specifics of what we think is in that protest, but that's, that's the exception, but sometimes we do.
0: Okay. But yeah, as far as knowing exactly who it was and why they protested, you, you'll never know that. No. Right. So.
1: Okay. Uh, well, sometimes you will, because what we will do is we do a lot of research into our cases, Okay. And so sometimes we're able to discern what was in a victim impact statement. And in cases where there were uh, trials, we get the trial records, and sometimes victims or their family members are there and they've testified. So we try to get as much information as we can to help us determine whether a protest is likely and how we need to address it in our presentation.
0: That's good, okay. Let me ask you this, has there there ever been a case where that you did take, but you still thought it was a long shot and you ended up making the first parole? Uh,
1: Yes, Uh, when I take on a case uh, where I have the time and I I generally like to have at least six months, preferably eight months to 12 months because we do a lot of research into the case, collect a lot of documents up. Uh, I like to do my cases in two parts. The first is gonna be the evaluation stage. And the second part is the representation stage. Now, I'm evaluating people when I'm on the phone with them. If they answer those questions that I was talking about, about disciplines, criminal history, problems within the prison system, I can tell them on the phone, you know, there's little or no chance here. Right. Uh, but so, most times, you, those aren't the calls you're getting. So we do the evaluation. And in the evaluation, I write to the client. I get a lot of written information from the client releases to get documents from the police from the district attorney from the courts from the prior attorney get a life history from them then i'll meet with the client of course during the pandemic we're having to do this by phone i get more information and then i write up an extensive evaluation uh computing their parole score giving them a parole approval statistics assessing how difficult the case i think it's going to be laying out my course of action how i plan to proceed Uh, And then providing a lot of information on the parole process, the parole officer interview that they'll undergo, and how to write support letters. When they get this evaluation back, they will then decide what to do. And there's times when I will tell a client I see little or no prospect, uh, or it's going to be an extremely difficult case. And the family may still choose to hire me with full knowledge of that for a number of reasons. Sometimes their loved one is looking at a sex offense where the set-off could be up to 10 years if they're denied. Right. Uh, Other times aggravated offenses uh, could be up to five years. Uh, Families may want to limit the set off and, and, Quite frankly, sometimes family members may feel guilty and want to just do something to show their loved one that, you know, that they're supporting them. And if they decide after they get the evaluation and after they know all the warts in the case and, you know, how difficult it's going to be and what my course of action is going to be, if they want to go forward, I'll do that at that time. I'm not going to drop them into grease after they've done the evaluation because I try to weed those cases where there's no chance try to weed those out uh, through the phone call.
0: So do parole uh, support letters really work?
1: Parole support letters are important because the parole board knows that the chances of an individual recidivating is the greatest when there's a poor support plan, poor support network. So it's important that the board knows that there are people there who can assist. Ultimately, they'll impress upon you that it's up to... The individual, the offender, he's the one who's going to make the decision as to whether he's going to uh, recidivate. But the chances are much greater when there's no outside help, no family support network. So yes, they're important in that regard. We've I've had cases where I've gotten parole with no support letters, or with just one or two, uh, and sometimes we'll get twenty or thirty. But yes, they do. They are important to the board. Because the board wants to see what kind of support the individual is going to have to keep them on the straight and narrow once they're out.
0: Okay. So uh, some essentials in the probe packet then would be support letters, maybe a history of um, if an inmate has a clear record with no cases. Make make sure that's in there. Accomplishments maybe when they were out in the real world. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. What I tell my, my clients is I not only want to see the certificates that they've achieved in parole in, uh, in prison, uh, I want to see any letters from prospective employers so that the parole board knows that this individual is going to have the opportunity to be employed. Now, many of them won't have that. Right. And then we'll want to emphasize what their job skills are uh, to show that they you know, will be able to, at some point, obtain employment, that they've got the skills for it. I want to see a letter from, the, uh, from my client. And I'll basically go over what I want to see in that letter. And generally, I want them to focus on remorse, acceptance of responsibility, uh, what they've done in TDC to improve their uh, themselves, rehabilitate. Why they won't be back if they uh, if they're granted parole, and if they've been involved in some courses like cognitive intervention, uh, other courses that the board see, sees as important. For instance, if they've got substance abuse issues, and they've been to some classes that are involved with substance abuse, talk a little bit, not a long time, because they don't, don't want a real long letter, but just a little bit to let the board know that they were listening to those classes, mention a few things that they learned from that, so that the board sees that they're not doing what, unfortunately, many inmates do. They just want to punch their ticket with certain right. courses, and, and we'll right. see that, and no, my will grant me parole. Let me
0: ask you this, uh, just from the cases that you've done, You've represented, it, and including all the yeses, all the all the all the approvals and all the denials. Based on those approvals and denials, do they do a good job at reading whether these people are ready to go home or not, and letting the right people out at the right time?
1: I can tell you from my personal experience, the board has always provided me with the opportunity to give input. They've listened to it. They've read it. Uh, their discussions with me on the personal interviews, because I always request a personal interview with the lead voter, uh, indicate that they've looked at the record. They understand it. So my clients, almost to a one, understand that they got a full hearing when the case is closed. They don't. We don't always agree with the decision. Right. But I feel confident with the collection of folks on the board now that you're going to get a full hearing. At least that's my experience. I can't say that was always the case uh, years ago. There were some individuals who were more problematic. But right. the present complexion of the board, uh, myself, Bill Hayburn, uh, Gary Cohen, I know, uh, all, all the top-notch parole attorneys uh, that I've talked to are, are convinced that we get a fair hearing and we're happy with the complexion of the board.
0: Well, I, for one, know um, how well you work because I got the privilege of of speaking on behalf of a friend uh, who was a client of yours, and I got to see your parole packet that you put together for them. Uh, I got to see you speak in front of the, the lead voter. Um, you allowed me to speak in front of the lead voter, and you, you coached us and helped us and, and, and let us know, and you put us at ease, and you you encouraged us. And so I know you do a great job. I don't know how, how many other parole lawyers there are out there. You know, when you're in prison, you hear, I think uh, Lori Redmond was a big name. And I just, so I know she's good, or at least everybody says she is. Um, but you hear all these, but you hear so many like, man, I just don't know if it's worth the money. I don't know if it's worth the money. Well, let me just tell everybody right now. And, and I don't even know what David's fees are. I just know that I got to see him live in person. He called me whenever, uh, whenever our friend put me down as, a, as somebody who would appear. He called me, he asked me questions, he talked to me, he vetted me. Uh, and then I turned around and vetted him too because I wanted to know who was representing my friend and, and he appreciated that. You, and I think you appreciated me asking information about you and wanting to know about you. And, and I was very impressed because, you, because of your past being the inmate uh, defender for their new, new, new crimes. I, I was just impressed with you, man, from day one. And that's the reason you're on the show. That's the reason I'm, I'm telling people that, you know, if you're considering a parole lawyer, consider David. Well, I
1: appreciate your comments, Jay. It does bring up another point that you want to look at when you're hiring an attorney. And that is, are you going to be able to get to talk to that attorney when you need to?
0: Yeah. You know, by the
1: time people get to the parole, they've had trial attorneys, some of them appeal attorneys, writs attorneys, some of them multiple attorneys, not always. Uh, is it a problem but the biggest complaint i do get is that they couldn't talk to their attorney all of my clients uh, have my cell phone and um accessibility
0: yeah accessibility is key and i tell you what i mean you were even going through some personal things during that time yet you still made sure you were accessible to to me and and our friends the family that hired you and so that was impressive to me that you were you were you admitted you were kind of going through some things in your personal life at that time and yet you still made time to answer our questions, keep us, keep us updated on everything. So man, you're just, you're top notch in my book. And uh, we're, we're definitely gonna have all the ways of getting a hold of you. Everything we've talked about on the show, all the links, he's got a great website. Everything we've talked about is, is, is on his little website page. Uh, I think under the resource page, uh, as well as the, well, he's got a good resource page and he's got, he's got great pages about just statistics, it also talks about, you know, just from the beginning, who should hire an attorney. Should I hire an attorney? He just goes through all the stuff. So uh, his his website is very professional. We'll have the link on the website, plus the uh, the information that if you um, if you can't afford an attorney, then uh, the information he gives to everybody who uh, who can still put a you know a good packet together. So David, man, I thank you. for If your I time. could just
1: let me just, I'll quickly hit on a few other things that you want yeah. to look at and hire yeah. a parole attorney. Absolutely. First off, every parole attorney should be willing to give you a copy of the parole presentation. That's okay. another warning sign if they're not going to do that. That file that the parole attorney puts together—that's the client's file. That is not the attorney's file. Uh, I provide my my clients all my my work, you know, except under Michael Morton, if it's prohibited from discovery under the Michael Morton Act, then right. it's the only exception. But that yeah, client,
0: I, yeah, and I remember file. you. I remember you gave our friends a hard copy that day. I think you yep. might've even offered me one, uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, but no. that's,
1: that's, that's because I had a release from my client authorizing yeah. me yeah. to do
0: that. So the only reason that that somebody wouldn't offer you a copy of that is because maybe they're being unethical and they really don't have one to give you and they're just trying
1: to hide that fact. Well, there could be many reasons. I don't want to speculate, but yeah. uh, that's one of them. Uh, Boy. maybe they haven't submitted something. Maybe they're not really happy with what they submitted. They don't want anybody to see it. Gotcha. Uh, And it could be just something innocent, but you're entitled to a copy of that. you also want to look and make sure you talk to your attorney about, are they going to request an appearance before the lead voter?
0: That's important. The lead
1: voters are giving personal appearances to attorneys who request them. At a minimum, they can get a teleconference and they will never decline me the right to have one or two family members or friends with me. So your attorney should be willing to do that as well. Always be sure. You get a written contract. Under the bar rules, lawyers are supposed to enter into a written contract when they provide legal services. Okay. That tells you what you're getting, tells you what you can expect. And if the lawyer doesn't do that and a grievance is filed, things are usually going to be resolved against the attorney. Uh, so right. those are some some good signs.
0: Good, good. That's good information. Last question for you is: How has uh, the coronavirus affected your appearances before lead voters?
1: Well, they have now switched over to Zoom conferences. Okay. Uh, so I request the Zoom conference in every case where we can't get the personal because of the uh, coronavirus. There have been a there's been one case anywhere where there was difficulty and we had to do a tele teleconference because the board wasn't set up to do the the Zoom yet. But okay. Pretty much all the others I've been getting Zoom conferences and I, my family uh, members and their you know, friends, whoever is going to appear with me, they're on the Zoom as well. All right. So, so
0: I, I lied. That wasn't my last question. This is the last question, though, I promise. Compassionate release. Do, do you do those? Is there is there a, is there a market for that right now because of the coronavirus? Uh, I no. know they're. I know they're doing that in fed federal prisons. Is is that something the, on the state level they're doing?
1: The governor here is is not. As you know, he's been pretty tough on releasing individuals to bond because of the coronavirus. Yeah. You know, in Texas, we do have, have what's called medically recommended intensive supervision. Okay. And uh, I addressed that on my article about what defense attorneys need to know about parole. But unfortunately, it's it's very limited. A lot of people aren't granted. Medically recommended intensive supervision, and to tell you how difficult it is, you have to uh, pretty much be in a persistent vegetative state if you have a sex offense.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: if you have an aggravated offense, the, the the burden is very very high, and they don't just consider your medical situation. You may get through the doc. This initiates with the doctor, by the way, and you don't need right. an attorney for this. So right. Okay,
0: you could, gotcha. You get
1: one. Uh, It initiates with the doctor. The doctor has to recommend you to TDC doctor or UTMB doctor. Then it goes up to ultimately to the parole board, and they're going to vote on uh, whether to recommend the medically recommended intensive supervision. But they're bound by the statute, and the statute sets a very high bar, particularly in aggravated cases and in uh, sex offense cases. And if the offense is very heinous, Uh, Even if you meet those qualifications, uh, they take that into account and they will not grant medically recommended intensive supervision in many of those heinous offenses. Okay.
0: All right. Well, man, uh, this has been incredibly informative. Uh, I kind of knew uh, maybe two or three of the answers already, but you have given us way more information than than I ever could have expected. So this is going to really help a lot of people. And again, if you're listening, we're, we're going to put all David's information on the show notes on the website, ForgivenFelons.org, background check, and uh, you'll, you can you'll even see a picture of him and all that. We'll put the links to the documentaries of the gentleman that he, um, that he represented. And so, David, thank you so much, and I appreciate your time, your information, and all you do. For the end. Well, thank you,
1: Jay. Uh, I appreciate all you do too, by the way. What you do is very important for giving felons. I meant to mention this also. The religious programs in the prison, if a client is religiously inclined, the board views them very favorably. Okay, so, awesome. Uh, anything that individuals can do to get involved in uh, rehabilitative religious programs within the prison system can be very helpful, but uh, thank you for your time. I I really appreciate it.
0: All right. Well, thanks. Thanks again. And uh, good luck to you. And we hope to send some people your way. Thank you. you. Have a good day. All right. Stay safe. You too. You stay safe out there.
1: Okay. Bye. All right. Bye.
0: You know, I think I may say this almost every episode, but This really was one of my favorite episodes so far because this man, David O'Neill, fights for the same type of people that I used to be. And although I was only in there for three years, I had a five year sentence, two five year sentences. I probably could have used a parole lawyer, but in Texas, uh, you don't make parole early when you have DWI cases. And my friend had a DWI case and and he had 10-year sentence, and there was just no way that he was getting out on his first parole. And I think a lot of it had to do with the presentation that, that David put together. And I don't even know the total amount that my friends spent. I just know that fees for lawyers of David's caliber are, are quite expensive. But at the same time, high-caliber lawyers like David don't don't offer the same assistance that he is offering to people who can't afford his fees. He, he posts on his website. He has, uh, the parole plan in, in an article, a PDF article from the prison newspaper called echo. And it tells you everything you need to have in a parole plan. And most lawyers won't even go that far, you know, but, he worked his tail off for my friends, and my friend made his first parole on a 10-year sentence DWI case. And and I just I have a new respect for for lawyers in general, but mostly parole lawyers. But I thought it was interesting. Some of the things he said, you know, what to look for in a lawyer. I mean, he's basically telling you that there are some crooked parole lawyers out there, too, that just want your money. Listen, if you have a loved one in prison and you – are thinking about hiring a parole lawyer go to his website at least look it over check him out call me if you need a reference but look at all his resources look at everything that he does and i'm telling you i I don't know that there's going to be too many lawyers that put in the work like he does and will not take people's money when he knows that it's not going to work honesty integrity usually are not words that you uh, associate with lawyers but I, I think they they fit for David and to hear some of the stories of people that he's represented he's represented like uh, what's his name Robert Coney I mean that poor man uh, listen you gotta I got the link on the show page. you have to listen to his story. The documentary I think that I linked to is only like 34 minutes long. You know, uh, if you if you don't like rap music, you won't like the last the first three minutes of it. But listen, man, when you when you hear this man's story, and you know that he was potentially innocent, then you understand why he kept trying to escape over and over. And it's 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 incredible uh, to hear some of the stories that David has been able to uh, be a part of over the years, and the fact that he was a military, he was JAG. I mean, I used to love watching a few good men. You know, I love JAG. But listen, if you're going to hire a parole attorney, I'm going to tell you right now, don't waste your money on anybody else. This man um, this man will work for you. He'll work for you. I like how some of the things he said, some of the things he's he's seen. Back in the 50s and 60s when he made the statement about you know, they were giving big numbers for, for black people in the 50s and 60s and how they're still kind of doing that now. Uh, I know there's a lot of my white friends that will say, oh, no, they, they're not. Here's the stats. Well, you know, David is somebody who's been in the system, worked the system. You know, and these guys, his position before he became a pro lawyer was he was the defense attorney for inmates in Texas once they committed a crime in prison. All right? And you heard what he said. He said they've already committed the crime to get into prison. And so by the time they commit another crime in prison, they are a repeat offender and they're going to give them basically 25 more years to life. And you know when when you hear episodes like Ron Atkins on episode 4, you know, he that's what they told him when he committed that new crime in prison. They said you could either sign for this 5-year sentence or another life sentence. He already had five other life sentences, so he wasn't really worried about it, but he signed for that five years anyway. And, and and guys like that need a need a defense attorney inside prison. But the reason he's not still doing that job is because what he said, he saw that they were taking advantage of a mentally challenged person and they were trying to they were trying to put more on this this guy than he deserved. And he was held in contempt. You know and Listen, you won't find guys that'll fight for the inmates more than David O'Neill. This is not just a, uh, you know, promotion. He's not paying me to talk about him like this. This is all coming from my heart because I've seen his. He admits there's some problems with our system. He admits uh, things need to be changed, but he's doing the best he can for the people he serves. And does he does he charge? Yeah. But listen... Remember what he said about what to watch for, what to look for, what to avoid, what to run. If anybody guarantees they can get anybody out of prison, run, steer clear. But go to his website. Check him out. Check him out. If, especially if you know somebody who has a loved one in prison and they might be interested in parole lawyer, send the information. Send them to this podcast. Listen, thanks again for um, for checking us out. I appreciate it. Next week we are uh, gonna have Mark Wheeler on. Mark Wheeler is an amazing guy. He's in the corporate field he he uh, he, he suffered an addiction for so long and finally stepped down and then uh, went to Teen Life Challenge. got his life right and now he's back in the corporate world and in prison ministry and he's gonna be here uh, next week we're gonna listen to that interview. And it's going, to be, it's going to be crazy good. Well, uh, before we leave here, you know how we do it now. We're going to pray for David O'Neill. Father, in Jesus' name, we lift up David O'Neill to you. We thank you, Father, that the heart of David O'Neill is just like the heart of the Father. He's fighting for people. He's fighting for second chances. So, Father, I lift him up in this fight. He's already been in a fight that caused him to lose his job because he was defending people that the system didn't care about. And now he's defending them in his own firm. So Lord, I pray that his firm thrives. I pray that his business thrives. I pray that the people that go to him thrive and find good favor before the board. Bless his wife, bless his family, bless everything about him. Give him strength when he's weak and give him creative wisdom in presenting cases before the board. Thank you for people like David O'Neill. Thank you for David O'Neill. And we just give you all the glory for what he's doing in his community, for society, for everybody. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before I forget, today is October 16th. Early voting has started, and it goes through, I believe, October 30th. So, listen, I don't care which way you vote. That's between you and God. Or if you don't believe in God, it's just between you and you. But listen, this this election is is as important as any, and you need to get out there and vote. You need to get out there and vote. Go already vote if you don't want the uh, the election day you know lines. There's still some lines now because of because of uh, social distancing, but they go fast. I think I think I stayed in line for an, uh, half an hour, but I, my, I got my vote in. And listen, you can't vote straight ticket anymore. You got to vote every single race. But look, do some research before you go vote. You know, I mean, there might be a Democrat out there that's running for something that doesn't believe in abortion but might believe in criminal justice reform, uh, local politics, criminal justice reform, and, and some other things that you might agree with. Some people don't like me because I said that, but that's okay. You be you. Get out and vote. All right? All right, we'll see you next week on Background Check. Uh, we're we're going to have Mark Wheeler. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check podcast. Brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit forgivenfelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm
1: Jaden Gum, and this has been Background Check.